Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Bienvenue à la maison des pods. Je m'appelle Kave. Avec moi aujourd'hui est mon ami Lizzie. Why am I speaking in French today? Because we have two guests from Canada, where I hear they do speak occasionally French, and we are so grateful to have them. Please, let's first start with Dr. Tyler Black, emergency psychiatrist and suicidologist. Tyler, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Also with us, we have Timothy Caulfield, professor of health law and science policy, speaker and author of such books as Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything? Question mark? And Relax, Damn It, The User's Guide to the Age of Anxiety. Dr. Caulfield, right? So doc- you're a doctor, correct, Dr. Caulfield? I'm a professor in Canada. Law professors are professors until recently, just to make it very confusing. So I'm a professor. So thank you for asking that to clarify my title, but I don't care. Okay. I'm Tim. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will also here. call Tyler Tyler. Yes. And and Lizzie, Lizzie, hey, how are you, buddy? You can call me Doctor Lizzie. That's right. That's for what I usually here. do. That yeah. is what we do. Um, thank you all for joining us on this little roundtable. We have a lot to discuss. Lizzie and I don't know much about Canada and the way Canada works. We've seen things. We've heard it called the Great White North, Rupert's Land, Nova Britannia, Cold Mexico. I've heard a lot about it. I'm curious to know from you guys' perspective a little bit about the differences between the Canadian and the U.S. response to, to COVID. Got a lot of questions about that. Um, but first, let, let me just start with a difficult question. We've all sort of talked about what's gone wrong so far in terms of rolling out the vaccines, in terms of the response of major public health organizations to COVID. But I don't I want to know specifically what you guys feel, and this is for everyone, could have been done better. If, if we had a chance to go back and maybe do a couple of things differently in response to COVID, in response to rolling out the vaccines, I would like to know if you guys have any specifics about what that might be. 
I'll go first. I would have moved to Canada. Okay, now you guys. <laughs> I don't Just know, kidding. man. I, <laughs> no, Tyler can back me up on yeah. this. Uh, hard. You know, Canada. Canada's response, I think, has you know, in general, been much better. You know, uh, but it has been flawed. Also, yeah, we we I think we lacked coordination, like you guys did. We in, in many respects. I wonder if you agree with me, Tyler. We were kind of like mistake, U.S. mistake light <laughs> in yes. that we yeah. we uh we made all, very many of the similar mistakes so lack of coordination um we had the same kind of polarized discourse but not as bad uh we we made mistakes about science communication but not as bad uh but now now we're in a situation where some jurisdictions including alberta and ontario for for a while you know we really screwed up in 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 how the health policies were put forward and again it goes back to that lack of of coordination yeah. uh would you agree with that tyler i would i you know bc my home province did a little bit better um for quite a while um i i think most of the provinces we 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 tried to be a little bit more in front of the science and in front of the pandemic than i think the um what i saw happen in the states a lot was a state would get hammered and then they'd have a response but of course by the time you're seeing case numbers increase you know, the ships left the, the the barge. So, you know, it's it's pretty hard at that point. Um, so I, I saw a lot of that. I have a question for you guys. I guess I don't I don't know as much about the data in Canada, um, but do you think that during this pandemic, the healthcare disparities that we've seen really exposed in America? People, you know, these wounds are being exposed. All the bandages are being ripped off. Do you think that that has been a part of the Canadian experience. Um, you clearly have a lot to. of First Nation, yeah. Indigenous people, I'm sure, um, socioeconomically disadvantaged people. So you think that that's I think the, case. the The access to universal healthcare, I think, made a really big difference to people who are disproportionately affected by minoritization, racialization, and those types of things. I think we have seen quite a big difference in that. Um, nobody in Canada worries about can I afford my trip to the hospital or can I afford what happens if I go to the hospital? And, and for the first time, I think in a really long time, Americans got exposed in the vaccine rollout to something and getting tested to something that didn't cost you anything. You just got the vaccine. You just went in and got it. You yeah. just went in and got tested. Um, that's what it's like to be a Canadian all the time. You, just, <laughs> you need your test, you go in, you get it. You don't get right. a bill for it. You, you need a vaccine, you go in, you get it. You don't get a bill for it. Um, so I think that made a difference. I don't know, Timothy, if you feel like the universal healthcare, I think, really makes a, bit, a big difference. I don't know. I, I agree with you, Tyler. But the, but the other thing is, we again, sort of building on what I said last time, we, we did see the equity issues here, the access <laughs> issues here, definitely with the Indigenous community, uh, mapped on uh, racialized communities, mapped on very similarly to what we saw in the United States with perhaps not the same intensity. Um, and we saw, you know, a little bit of queue jumping again, not as not as bad as perhaps uh, in in the United States. Uh, one of the things that we have found in, in Canada, where where there have been problems, um, the long term care facilities, I think we could have done better. And and also our vaccine rollout. Um, this is where Canada stumbled a little bit. Right, Tyler, you know, uh, compared Absolutely. to some jurisdictions. Uh, which is very un-Canadian. Normally, normally Canada's kind of on top of the, these kinds of, you know, resourcing the healthcare system on top of it. Uh, and we did stumble with supply and, and that, that exposed some of these the equity issues, I think, that you're talking about, Lizzie. Yeah. 
I mean, the other thing I was curious about is in Canada, is there that passionate civil liberties <laughs> argument where people were murdered, not just spit on and yelled at in shopping centers and targets and Walmarts across the country, but people were murdered because they were, um, there was an insistence to wear masks and some people's reaction was, you're not going to violate my civil liberties. Did, do you think that Canadians have that kind of fierce, what I think is an out of proportion reaction to being asked to do something for Very another human being? That. Yeah, that's a reasonable yeah, I, thought. It's, it's a great question. This is actually something that we're studying at our institute. So I can talk. <laughs> Tell us more about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's great. Talk about that. Wait, yeah, wait, so wait you're, studying, yes. <laughs> you're studying about Americans being assholes? Please elaborate. <laughs> Well, there is an American angle to this for sure. So, so first of all, uh, yes, we have seen that polarization happen here. And we have seen the leveraging of ideological language is sort of intuitively appealing out ideological language. That's sort of the kind way to put it, right? You know, so language about liberty and choice and freedom uh, as an entry point into, into misinformation. And there's a really interesting body of evidence that tells us that that using that, that kind of language as an entry point to the spread of misinformation, unfortunately, is effective, right? Because it invites you into this community, you know, I'm for freedom, I'm for consent, I'm for liberty, and you're in this community that's anti-mask, anti-vax, and you're, you've built your little echo, echo chamber. So that absolutely is happening in Canada. There was a very interesting uh, survey. Uh, we, we've, seen, we've seen this grow over the pandemic because early days in Canada, we were pretty homogenous and we were very, we didn't have the same kind of polarization. Everyone was behind, you know, the, the public health restrictions. We were very kind of unified country and that fell apart. And this is the American uh, side of the story. Part of it is because the American rhetoric has had an impact on Canadian discourse. So we, sure. there's a study that came out very recently that found that social media feeds from the United States, that's what's driving much of the social media discussion in the United States. And so you have a province like mine, Alberta, which is quite right wing, quite conservative leaning, very much echoing the same kind of language that you're seeing in the United States. So we have anti-mask marches, you know, I get hate mail every day and it echoes the, uh, the stuff that we're hearing in the United States. Tyler, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, uh... It, it, sometimes you forget because America is such a shiny example of polarization. You forget how polarized it is in Canada until these issues come up. Um, there's there's a really strong group of of anti-maxers, anti-vaxers. Um, there's a there's a whole there's a whole like um, you, you know like like that. It's it's not just right wing left wing, but that really strong right wing of don't you dare tell me what I can do right. um, sure. type of thing where. Yeah. Um, you just imagine Canadians not doing that, but the reality is, you know, my, you know, every time I venture into this space, like, like Tim, I get, um, I get a lot of hate. You know, I feel bad for our influence on you, but at the same time, there's a little part of me that just feels a little bit better when I see that the rest of the world also has crazy people in it. Like when Brexit was happening and I was hearing like British people speak with a very nice British accent about stuff that sounded really dumb. I was like, oh, thank God. Not just us. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere has these people. You know, most of Canada lines up along the border of the United States. We're yeah. very culturally um, influenced by the United yeah. States. It's, it's really yeah. quite incredible. Well, I think it's much more common for a Canadian to watch American TV than to watch a, a, Can a Canadian TV. 
Yeah, which I'm sorry. You, which one of you guys has a seagull in the background? Uh, I have a, I have a very friendly seagull on my roof. Is that, that what's so going on? Funny. I thought that was your dog, Lizzie. Uh, no, I was like, it's not me. Who's on a beach right now? Because it's like getting into the evening and it's not. Yeah. And you guys are in Canada, so I know it's probably cold. Oh, it's very um, hot today. I, I feel a lot of the difference between the two countries has to basically come, come down to the leadership. I mean, we have a really strong presence of that anti-masker, anti-vax, you know, far out there, QAnon, like, group. We have that for sure. And you guys do too, I know, because I see it online. Um, but at the same time, you know, the leadership from above, when we started this, a big part of our problem was we had a very different president in place than we do now. I mean, you can say what you will about Biden, um, but his cabinet is at least competent in dealing with the basics of science issues and rolling out science things. So it is a very different thing. I like to think at least. Um, is, is that the, the case there as well? Is it because of Trudeau? Is it because of his cabinet? Or is it, is it more universally like inherent Canadian thing due to socialized medicine? Yeah, I think I think it's kind of all, it's kind of all of the above. Now, first of all, um, you probably know this Trudeau. There's you know I'm in Alberta, and they hate Trudeau. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they, they they hate him. I bet I bet Trudeau has in Alberta a lower approval rating than than Trump. Um, in in I, I, I'm guessing I, I don't know it off the top of my head. I guess I'm guessing yeah. it's in the low in the low 30s, and it's for these the ideological polarization that Tyler talked about before. But having said that, I think, I do think you're correct in that Canadians in general, uh, despite everything that Tyler and I just said, we do trust our institutions more than you do. Uh, we do yeah. have lower levels of vaccination hesitancy, for example, than, than you do. Uh, we do have the universal health care and, and at least the spirit of national cooperation on these yeah. issues and the, the desire to do that. And I think that that makes a difference. And going back to what you said about the leadership, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you heard the study, the study from Cornell um, that <laughs> that found that you know they looked at 1.1 million bits of misinformation, and they found that 37.9 percent of all that misinformation had some connection to Trump. And there's been yeah. there, there's been other studies that have I don't know that sounds ridiculous and seems extreme. Can that study be true? Other studies have replicated that makes kind sense. of, no, yeah, it's sense. come from different directions and found the same thing. So, you know, the, the reason I bring that up is, yeah, leadership and and these voices matter and they do kind of drive the public discourse. And then what, one thing that's really funny is you, you ask people on the street, you know, do these prominent individuals, are they really trustworthy? People will say no. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you can look at other research that says that these individuals, despite that, still drive the public discourse. Yeah. I mean, Trump is, and, and any misinformation comes from somewhere, you know, uh, there, I don't think, I don't want to give Trump credit enough to be so creative as to create all the mistrust and misinformation that's out there. And I guess this is mostly for you, Tim, but, you know, on our show, I think part of our mission that's become, it's become part of our mission. It's not how we started the podcast, but in the last year or two, it's really about giving people who are anti-misinformation, if you will, or pro-science or pro-truth, if you will, um, a platform because it's so important. Do you, do you feel like, I mean, that's part of, you know, the books you've written and the research you're doing. What do you think the future of that is? How can it just extend outside this bubble of, you know, our social media platforms that we all know at this point are inherently 
you know, a micro ecosystem of who we choose, who we want to follow. What do you think the future is? This is like a big grand <laughs> scale question, but what the hell do we do? In answer in one sentence. Please. Yeah, or, or like five words or less go. You know, like I just, what is it? It feels like we have all these people that we, we love who come on our show like you and what do we do? Like, I feel like we just are banging our heads against the wall and, and I still feel hopeful. I don't have, I haven't lost all faith, but like, how do you see the future going with this, all this garbage? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. listen, uh, I, I'm like you, I'm hopeful, class half full. Um, I, I absolutely, so let's start with the good news. The good news is, despite the feeling that you have, Lizzie, you're banging your head against the wall, this seems futile, it's like, you know, trying to hold back the tide. The evidence tells us that countering misinformation works. It works and it matters and we have to keep at it. It's a complex social phenomenon. You guys know this. And it's not going to be one thing that fixes it. We have to come at it from absolutely every direction. So that means getting on social media and countering the misinformation in a way that's constructive, in a way that is shareable, in a way that's credible. And again, the good news is there's evidence that doing that works. It's just one strategy. Right? we got to do more. But it does does work. And the other other part of that good news story is I think the thing something we've seen over the past year is more and more people like you guys, right? Getting involved in the public discussion, recognizing the need to do this. You're seeing clinicians and scientists and, and high school students and people who are just passionate about science becoming part of the discussion. That's an awesome, awesome thing. And I hope it's a legacy of the pandemic that that continues. But we also need to teach critical thinking. We need to teach liter uh, science literacy skills. We need the regulators to step up. We need the social uh, media platforms to do stuff. Uh, you know, there, we have to come at this from absolutely every single angle. We gotta, we've got to debunk and we've got to pre-bunk. You know, we've right. got to do it all. We've got to do it all. But the I good like news that. is, like you, glass half full, we can make a difference. And I'm actually hopeful this is going to be one of the legacies of the, of the pandemic. Yeah, I love the term pre-bunk. And, um, and I think what you're saying is also so important. We talked on our episode um, last week. It's like sort of vaccine hesitancy. So a patient who doesn't want to get the vaccine, you have to say it to them probably maybe 10 times about yeah. why they should, about the pros. And it's the same thing with debunking. We have to be so clear about misinformation and where to go for good resources so many times. And and it's good to hear that because it does feel <laughs> exhausting, oh you know, so. I, I think of the efforts in fighting misinformation, we should think of those efforts like we think of public health interventions. So we have to measure mm -hmm. the effect sort of on a public, you know, it's, you're not, you don't measure, did I change my crazy uncle's mind? You know, no one does that. You know, the crazy uncle doesn't go, no, now that you mentioned it, Tim, you're right. That never happens, right? You have to think about it. It's, it's an effect you measure on a population level. And if you measure it on that population level, I think absolutely it matters and makes a difference. I, I also yeah. think that there's, there's going to be a larger and larger role. Unfortunately, this comes with some negatives for government to be involved with regulating misinformation. You know, um, one of the big differences, and probably Tim can speak to this more because he's actually a lawyer uh, or teaches law, um, is, uh, you know, Canadian freedom is a little bit different than American freedom. We have it flavored very differently. The language of our freedom of rights really does extend to as long as it doesn't hurt other people. Like there's, there's some serious limitations on our rights. 
Um, and, and, and in America, it's all about rights first, and, and that's kind of enshrined in the law. Right. There's going to be a real tension between freedom to say anything and the way that misinformation can be weaponized nowadays, like a literal weapon that kills people. Um, so so I, I think that's going to be a really interesting tension to watch. Yeah. You know, um, I'm so glad to have you guys on the show to give us a slightly different perspective. Um, because Americans have always been sort of American centric and we've always looked inward more than outward, but I think even more so than ever in the last year, just because we've been so worried about our own stuff. So it's really nice to hear some slightly different perspectives on this. So, you know, we follow the CDC. I know you guys both follow CDC guidelines or or at least, you know, keep up to date with them. What other guidelines or other major sources do you look for, for information? Well, um, first of all, I, I think I should disclose that I'm also an American. Uh, oh. born, born in, <laughs> Get off caught. the show. Yeah. I knew it. I knew it. I could just <laughs> sense it. In yeah, go, go Patriots. Um, <laughs> no, that's not American. Yeah. We hate the Patriots, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Patriot helmet right there. When there. Nice. But, uh, so actually, we, we started this program, uh, this initiative called Hashtag Science Up First. And it's a social media um social media initiative where we're just we've already had i think 170 million interactions and we started it in in january international effort where we're trying to flood social media with credible credible sources of 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 information and so one of the reasons i bring that up is you know first of all that's a credible source of information hashtag science at first you can find it on twitter instagram facebook but more importantly on our on our website um, we, which is independent, you know, no industry involvement. We have a list of credible sources of information. So, uh, you know, some of the usual suspects, Public Health Agency of Canada, but we also try to point to um, some, some uh, resources people may, may not realize, like Ottawa Public Health has an awesome sort of feed that's fun and digestible. The City of London, same thing. Uh, National Health Service, also some really useful information. World Health Organization has a MythBuster uh, section. So if you're thinking, looking for COVID information, information about vaccines, we actually have a list of credible sources, sort of a one-stop shop where people can go to. In addition to that, we have uh, a list of resources that people can share. So for stuff for Instagram and Facebook and, and, and Twitter, you know, images, infographics that are usable, credible, independently assessed. I, I just go to House of Pod. That's all I do. That's smart man. You see, that's all you need, folks. Trying to, that's all you need. Trying to get reinvited. That's all. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Um, wait, let, let me. I have to go back. So you're you were American. You are American, but you moved to Canada at some point. Tell me the story. I need to know. Yeah, I, my I was born uh, in in Woods Hole. My dad was at the Woods Hole, Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute. Uh, he's a, he he was a physicist. He's passed away, but he he was doing research up north in uh, the Arctic. And Edmonton, Alberta, is pretty close to the Arctic. So here wow. I am. <laughs> wait, wait, Tim, Tim, where's we're American, man? Our our geography sucks. You should know that if you're really one of us. Like, if you're really one of us, you should know that. <laughs> okay, this where's is an interesting Woodhull? story here. Where when I was like... told, when I was told that, because I, 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 you know I was like my uh, elementary years in the United States and, and my high school years in, in Canada, I was told I was moving to Canada. I thought I was moving to a small state above Maine. <laughs> so the geography and I, <laughs> the geography point is well taken. So Edmonton, Alberta, it is 
you know, hundreds of miles above Montana, where I'm sitting right now. Got you. Okay. All right. That all checks out. Um, okay. So let's, let me shift gears a little bit to talk about something a little bit different that we saw recently in the news. And I'm curious to know if you guys have thoughts about this, both Tim, from your perspective of looking at actual data and looking and debunking stuff that people tend to believe is true without real data behind it. And obviously Tyler, cause you're a, a psychiatrist, but there is this new, or not new, but there is a lot of discussion now about this EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. Um, it's this form of psychotherapy for our, our listeners, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Um, it was started back in 1988. The person's uh, treated, the person that's being treated is asked to recall distressing images. The therapist then directs the patient in a, one type of bilateral stimulation, like moving their eyes a certain way or tapping their hands in a certain way. The reason this is all coming out now or come to the news again is because, you know, Prince Harry and Oprah have this new show called the me you can't see. And I have to say Oprah's track record for introducing medical science topics to this world, like Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil are not fantastic. <laughs> so, so I'm starting off with a high level of skepticism just because she's involved. She does I, great with celebrities, maybe not sure, science, but great sure. with celebrities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. And she did her thing with the beef industry, whatever. That's all great. But I'm like talking about when she starts talking about medicine topics, my butthole gets real tight. I get real <laughs> nervous around that because her track record is not great. So I want to hear what your guys' thoughts are about this or if it's something you're familiar with. EMDR is a is a, a good um, trauma therapy, and and the first thing that you want to say about it when you start off the controversy of of EMDR does not come from whether or not some people have found it helpful, or whether or not it can be part of good therapy. And I, I don't begrudge people who engage in EMDR, but what makes EMDR unique compared to other therapies is the integration of what it sort of stands for. And that's eye movement um, desensitization and reprocessing. The eye movement part was pretty science-free when it was developed, <laughs> uh, to, to say the least. Um, it involved a really bad misinterpretation of neuroanatomy and neurofunction. And, and it becomes part of um, a system of training for therapists that can cost those therapists thousands of dollars. And you have to be certified and you know, go through the whole program to learn how to make people's eyes move back and forth as they're reprocessing trauma. Hmm. Um, and it's been shown in a lot of studies um, that it's, there's nothing about the eye movements that's important. And so I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things that reminds me a lot of vitamins where you're probably not harming yourself a lot unless you're taking too, way too many vitamins, right, right. but you're costing yourself money and you're also opening yourself up to just taking in information without Suggestion. critically looking at it <laughs> without without critically looking at it because what makes emdr probably good has nothing to do with the eye movements um and that's that's the where the real controversy comes from like what why why do all the eye movements they've shown that tapping hands works um even clicking your tongue works uh, as well as eye movements um, so it has nothing to do with eye movements, but when challenged, the creators of EMDR, they, they just create another level of training that requires more certification and then they, they don't test whether or not it makes a difference. And oh my so God, it's like Scientology. It's like once you think you're getting to like the next level, they create a new level with more money. Fortunately, it's not as cultish, but it, 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 does, it does have that, it does have that um, you can't criticize us because 
you know, we're behind this barrier of training that we won't expose to the public. So um, mm. it, it's, it, it's a little bit of a gateway into some misinformation, I think. I think it's good therapy wrapped around a lot of woo. But do you That's, think that it's um, like a, a masquerade or a cover-up for like meditation? You're saying it's not eye movements, but there's clearly something about Well, the, the idea, the original idea was the actual movements themselves helped the reprocessing of trauma mm -hmm. in a way to, to reduce the distress caused by reprocessing of trauma. Um, and maybe as a distraction, it might have some role. But then again, like I said, a good trauma therapist can do so many things that help someone get through their trauma. I don't think they need to rely on uh, like basically a hypnotism dance, like a hokey pokey dance mm -hmm. before they talk about their trauma. I think it's just, like I said, it's one of those things that just reminds me of a gateway opening to pseudoscience. You know, I think it's really important to discuss this because one of the things, and Tim had alluded to this earlier, one thing that I've seen in the last year that's actually reassuring to me and gives me some hope is how medical professionals and scientists and people in the health world in general are so much less willing to put up with questionable stuff, pseudoscience. Um, in the past, we just dealt with a lot of it. Like, oh, what's the harm with Gwyneth Paltrow putting a jade egg up her vagina? Who cares? But now we realize, you know, people who believe that stuff are more likely to not listen to real data when it comes out or the real science. And that is really harmful, as we see now with COVID and the vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim, is that something? Is that Am I on the right path there with that? You're on the exact right path. You know, I wrote a piece about, uh, I came out about a year ago, we made that exact argument that, you know, we tolerated pseudoscience and look where we are. You know, uh, IV vitamin therapy was bunk before the pandemic. It's bunk now and it's going to be bunk after the pandemic, but the regulators parachuted in now, right? Uh, so yeah, we've tolerated pseudoscience too long. And I agree with you. I hope I hope one of the legacies, again, of the of the pandemic is a greater appreciation of exactly what Tyler was talking about, you know, the not allowing these kind of tolerating pseudoscience, because well, maybe someone's going to get some benefit from it, there might be a placebo theater, or, you know, some some other kind of, you know, they're, they're benefiting from one aspect of the therapy. So who cares, cares if it's packaged this way? I think it matters. I think it really does matter. You know, the other really good example of it, um, Lizzie, it kind of touched on something you said is, is mindfulness. I mean, it's another really good example um, of, you know, I, I think there's probably some benefit going on there, but, you know, so there, for example, there's been studies that have found no difference between exercise and meditation and, you know, uh, what is the intervention that's being used? What's being measured? You know, what is mindfulness and, it's um, the purple hat trick, you know, is yeah, the, the therapy, the purple hat you're wearing, or is it actually it, it, exactly, exactly right. And, and I, I find, and I really agree with Tyler that, that it's, it's this gateway, right? If we, if we don't, you know, allow, ask people to be critical. And, and for me, it's something that we study more through our research is how is this being represented in the public sphere? And that goes back to, to Prince Harry. Or, or is he Prince anymore? Is it just Harry? Good question. <laughs> he did give up. He had to give it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Harry. Okay, so Harry. We'll just go Harry. Harry. Like, <laughs> yeah. like Prince. <laughs> right. Um, the, so, the guy formerly, the formerly known as Prince. Was, right. 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 If, no, he was I would as. say in, in psychology, in psychiatry, there's this tendency to create branded therapies. Um, and, and honestly, it seems to me like the motivation is financial so that you can create a training system that you charge therapists to do. When in, in most studies that have looked at therapy, 
the relationship between the therapist and the patient is like 90% of the healing that goes on there. The actual type of therapy you're doing is relatively inconsequential, assuming that you have professional training. And so there's all this banding wars like EMDR versus this versus, you know, CBT versus all these other things. In reality, they probably, if they were ever put head to head, which nobody wants to do because they always want to compare it to wait list or treatment mm -hmm. as usual, they never want to compare it head to head with anything else. I I'm betting they would show exactly the same effect size. I'm betting it has very little mm -hmm. to do with the fans. Uh, you uh, see with exercise too, right? You know, every, you know, uh, that's another area that we, you know, I, I follow, the, follow the literature very closely. And every, every year there's these new exercises. Like now everyone's got bands all over their bodies. Have you guys seen that? You know, yeah. they're, yeah. they're doing squats yeah. and they have to have a million bands. You know, it, it's exactly what Tyler just said. They have to have something. So they're an expert in this kind of exercise. When, you know, in reality, you know, squats are squats probably. Right? Right. You know, from, right. Your muscles don't know if you have a band on or not. Right? So <laughs> it's... It's like um, Silicon Valley. It's always on to the next thing. And what the step back, the big picture is, whatever therapy works for you and whatever exercise works for you and whatever diet works for you is the right one, right? It's not the fad exercise. Remember, you know, there was spinning and then there was, you know, CrossFit and now there's Peloton. Like it's always the new thing, right? But the, the one that you stick to is the one that's right for you. I mean, that's the takeaway, right? Like... Absolutely. And, and um, yeah, ignore the noise, right? That's one of the, right. something I say all, all the time. When you're yeah, doing... It's whatever, whatever you enjoy. The best exercise is the one you're going to do, right? Just move right. it. And when, and when you're doing something like trauma therapy, um, you want to, it's probably more important to have someone you trust and that you can work with than do they know some particular skill in moving your eyeballs back and forth. Right. You know, um, that's probably a more important quality when you're processing something as important as trauma. As trauma. So, um, you know, I, I would like, you know, if people are listening to this, maybe they haven't thought much about EMDR, um, they've heard about it. And certainly with the Oprah Harry stuff, it'll become more popular. Yeah. Um, when you're selecting your therapist in your first couple of days when you're working with someone in therapy, your first couple of days of treatment should really be focused on how do we get along? Do I think this is going to be a fruitful relationship? Do they feel like they respect my needs and wants? Like if I don't, I personally don't care that much about mindfulness. If I went to a touchy feely therapist who tried to mindful me for two weeks, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to see someone else. Right, I didn't right. come here for this. Not a good match. Um, yeah. So, I love that term. Don't try to mindful me. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and also you're not moving your eyeballs correctly. Yes. <laughs> Get out of my office. Well, I, you know, there's some therapists that they'll say things like, you're not practicing your mindfulness. This tells me that you're not serious about therapy. And and I always find that type of approach so lack of introspection. Like, could you ever consider that maybe that person just isn't interested in that and wants to try something else? Right. Why does it have to be about their lack of trying? It's right. also like a terrible scapegoat. That's like, you're yeah. not trying. So when my therapy fails you it's because of you that's like a that's a terrible mind fuck for a therapist and, and, to play and, on a patient and psychiatrists yeah. you know we we there used to be terms like treatment resistant patients and instead of thinking of it as the treatment failed um, which is a much better way to frame it. Doctors yeah. would talk about treatment-resistant patients as if they're these invulnerable patients who can't be treated, and, right. and yet it, your medication didn't work or your therapy didn't work. Move to something else, try something else, be humble and recognize that you might not have all the answers, you might need to reach out for help, and it's a much better way to go. Right. No, that's well said. Um, all right, let's change gears one more time. 
we I think we have to discuss suicide because we have a suicidologist on the show. And, you know, I hear a lot of noise um, regarding what the rates of suicide are. Have they gone up or down in the last year? Can you help us tease out what has happened? We have it. We have it pretty much down at this point. The CDC fortunately has released uh, preliminary information telling us that that suicides decreased during 2020 um, by 5.6%. Um, you know, this, whenever I talk about this, I get a lot of, I'm so surprised and I didn't think it would go that way and all those types of things. And one of the reasons that I wasn't surprised is not because I believe they would go down, but because we can't really predict suicides in the future. If we could, we'd be much better um, at doing what we're doing. And there's so many competing factors. The, the thing that I think gets most frustrating is when people take their pet problem with 2020 and they make suicides about that. So, you know, if, if, if a region like some state had suicides go up by 3%, you'll be a bunch of, see a bunch of anti-lockdown people saying, ah, it was the lockdowns that increased suicides by 3%. But hold on, 2020 included a few other things, like a pandemic that killed lots of people, like racial strife that resulted in like riots and, and um, you know, protests everywhere. Uh, there was a lot of economic hardship. There were other things that happened. People got married and divorced in 2020. You know, so people take their pet project and they make suicides all about that. And, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy to be working in suicidology. It's something that I love, but I never anticipated that my field, which was kids dying by suicide, would become politicized so much as it has during 2020 and the early bit of 2021. Um, all of these people online, presidents, you know, very famous people wielding pediatric suicide. And you just know that as soon as the pandemic's over, they're going to drop it like a hot potato. And yeah. it's really frustrating. Really well, can frustrating. You, maybe, maybe Tim, you want to take this. Can you explain, uh, you were nodding, um, yeah. what that means by politicizing it? Because there's some people who don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen headlines that are saying suicides are up. You know, this pandemic is, and the lockdowns are isolating, making isolation worse. So what does that mean to politicize this topic from what you I, I totally agree with Tyler. And this is, uh, you know, what sort of my entry point into this, in this com- conversation is, you know, you see people that have been anti-lockdown or anti-restriction using su- suicides and, and almost all, always, if I'm not, and Tyler can correct me if I'm wrong, without any good science to back them up. They, they take it almost as a truism. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. They take it's it as truthy. a truism that yeah. suicides are way up. And so you have, um, uh, for example, the individuals that pushed the Great Barrington Declaration, which everyone would be familiar with, that was the declaration that came out last year that claimed that it it pitted a lockdown against natural herd immunity. And as part of that argument, they bundled, you know, not just uh, people that were espousing the Great Barrington Declaration, they would say they would use almost always, I can see the paragraph, because we actually did look at this, paragraph and all the uh, editorial comments all over the world, uh, suicides, you know, as uh, going up because of the, of the lockdown and that, you know, that being the risk benefit, uh, skewing the risk benefit calculus with respect to COVID uh, uh, restrictions. And it's almost always with an ideological component to it. So it's those who are against the lockdown, which generally have a particular ideological leaning, um, using using suicides as justification against them and even though there's no evidence to, to support that and um and they use other things you know they'll, they'll use things like productivity was destroyed right. because of the lockdown again no evidence to support that and go on and on and on many many other things that they 
they'll use. And hey, not saying that there were not costs to the lockdown, they're you know, tremendous, but it's a very, very complex social, cultural phenomenon that it's going to take years to tease out. And right. there, was, um, there was like a moral panic in the media, a moral panic going on. And it was like a classic moral panic where you basically have this belief and this belief, like Tim was saying, was just truthy. It was out there. Suicides will increase. There was, it was not questioned. You could just read any media, media article in May, June, July of 2020, and you'd see all the same information. Politicians and people who were, who were trying to sell newspapers and get clicks, they would all be saying the same thing. And that would drive the moral panic. And, and it was... Um, it, you know, it was so ironic because most of the quotes out of those articles would talk about, well, suicide's been increasing since 2008 in the United States, so it's just going to continue to increase and get even worse. But mm-hmm. they didn't know at that moment, the CDC was just completing data showing that in 2019, suicides came down as well. So not only did suicides come down in 2020, they also came down in the United States in 2019. And all of these talking heads in the media were talking about how the increases were going to continue. They weren't even basing that on data. They didn't even know that, they, that there were no increases in 2019 at that mm-hmm. time. It so it's just, just irony on irony. Yeah, and it's hysteria, right? Like if there's anything yeah. that you're worried about, you just have to say, well, there's a oh cool. my God, yeah, yeah oh my God, the suicides are going to go up because we're, yeah. we're in a trade war with China. Like you it's, can just make up whatever you want. You it's know? an error, error in thinking called post hoc rationalization. You, you know something's going to happen and here's the reasons why it's going to happen. Um, but in this case, it was pre-hoc rationalization. <laughs> and it was just accepted as, as, as fact. You know, it was, um, it was a very frustrating space to be in to watch um, sort of people make this mistake over and over. Um, but, you know, the numbers are what they are. Um, you know, I've, I've been reporting the data. I've been doing this a lot on Twitter. I had an article out at the UBC Medical Journal you know, showing that suicides are down in about, you know, there's a survey of 21 countries where they measure suicides and in, in 19 of them, suicides are down. There's a few exceptions. Asia seems to be have, have been affected differently, uh, but in North America, there's a significant decrease. And every time I say that, people accuse me of being, anti, uh, of being pro-lockdown. I'm like, I'm just reporting suicide numbers. I'm just telling you what happened to suicides. So. <laughs> the other thing, Tyler, I find so ironic, and you touched on this really briefly, but I think it's really important is and let's call let's let's be honest let's be explicit it's often people on the right who libertarian leaning you know populist politicians that are using suicides to support their position and then as soon as this goes away they're not exactly the individuals that are supporting public health interventions for suicide they're not not funding public health programs it's it's like when when these same individuals point to sweden as their example of how to handle lockdown. Really? You're like a hard <laughs> right libertarian and you're holding up Sweden <laughs> as your political example? Right. Yeah. It's Can a little you do that all the time? Yeah, totally. Right. It's a Sweden is like one of the most socialist, yeah. centralized yeah. I mean, countries in the entire world, right? You know, people, people behaved appropriately without the government even asking them. <laughs> they right. didn't need a lockdown right. because they all behaved in a community-oriented manner. <laughs> Yeah, oh. it's terrible to use that whole that that platform to for your own opportunistic needs. Like it's just, it's almost like the worst version of politics. Oh, you know, I, I went off. Bummer. I had quite a quite an angry tweet thread that went quite viral, um, where I was talking a lot about how I remember ghoulish, it. how ghoulish yeah. it is to use pediatric suicides in that way. Like there's so yeah. many ways yeah. you could advance your argument. Tyler yeah. sounds so nice when you hear him talk, but then like when he goes on. <laughs> When he like goes off on something, it's really impressive. I love it. 
Vicious <laughs> tweeting. Vicious. Oh, I love it. Well, awesome. I mean, I think it's great to stand up for that population and to speak up for the kids. So thank you for doing that. And um, okay, we'll, we'll close up here. You guys really appreciate both of you coming on. Really great to get your perspective. I have, uh, let's plug some things. First of all, let's plug Science Up First or Les Sciences de Build, which uh, I think is stop, for your French. Stop with the French. French. Look, Just my French is not bad. Come on. Three years in high school. Not bad, right? And um can you tell people a little bit about that first before we get into your individual pluggables? Yeah, this, this, as I said earlier, the Science Up First is a, what we hope is an international movement um, to, to make sure that credible science is on social media platforms. So uh, we want this, we try to follow all the evidence-based approaches to battling misinformation. Um, and so it's shareable, it's fun, it's positive. We wanted to make it a positive movement. So hashtag science up first, go to Facebook, go to Instagram, go to Twitter. We're going to be on TikTok soon and become part of the, this great community. And it's easy to become, all you have to do is join and start sharing the content. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been fantastic. It's been absolutely fantastic. And we just got more funding for it. So I'm hoping that this is something that survives the pandemic. Excellent. I just followed it. Fantastic. Okay. And, and for your individual pluggables, what do you guys have? Let's start with Tyler. What do you got? Uh, I'm on, I'm on Twitter at Tyler black 32 um, because I was a fan of magic Johnson. Um, and uh, that's about it. You know, I, I'm probably going to have a couple of pretty big articles coming out soon um, in published um, showing uh, suicide presentations to the emergency departments during the pandemic. Um, because there's been a lot of talk about that. And I got to say, again, pretty data free. Um, and so, you know, I work at a major tertiary children's hospital and I'm in, like my clinical job, day job is emergency psychiatry, um, dealing with suicidal kids all the time. So, um, you know, not only can, you know, that article, my, my hopes is it'll be uh, something that puts into clinical context, but also really lays the data out very clearly, especially for Canadians where there's a lot of information, uh, you know, misinformation yeah. going on there. Yeah, it's great. Well, if you want some vicious tweets, yeah. follow Tyler. <laughs> Definitely follow Tyler. And you should also follow Tim as well. Tim, where can people find your books? I can't wait to start getting them from like whatever, from, from Amazon, whatever source I can. Where can people find your, your books and your material? Um, my books hopefully are, are everywhere. I know Amazon, uh, all, all the book suppliers. The one, one little quirk you may not know, my, my most recent book in Canada is called Relax, Damn It. In the United States, it's called Your Day, Your Way. In the UK, it's called Relax. In Germany, I, what's it called? I stay calm or something. I don't know. Like relax. Exactly. Wait, wait a minute. Wait, what? Uh, wait, why did they change the name? Between Canada and America, English like we, to English. We can handle damn it. I feel like uh, we're okay with that. Apparently not. Uh, I'll I'll reserve comment. But... I'll say that Tim's book <laughs> Tim's book is going with Paltrow wrong about everything is is just a great science communication book. It really is um, for yeah. anyone who cares about just really good science communication. It's an excellent book. Really neat. Thank you, Tyler. It's nice of you. For sure. I can't wait to read it. Hey, thank you both so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you, you both have to come back sometime. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yo, she was a Division One athlete, guys. I was. Oh, yeah. What sport? Lacrosse. 
Nice. We have a running joke on the show where I make fun of her for this, and the listeners get mad at me when I make fun of her for being. Because lacrosse is a real sport. Oh my god! It, what, yeah. Hey, it's our national sport. Did you know that? No, no it's not. Not for hockey. Real? Nope, it's not <gasps> lacrosse. Lacrosse. Oh That's no! Wild. This changes yeah. everything. <laughs> this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.